Good morning, church. It's uh, great to see everybody here this morning, and we're going to talk about God singing today. Uh, music is a gift created and given to us by God. No wonder music is called the universal language, right? The sound of music, I think, is a wonderful part of this universe. Just think about when you wake up the first time in the morning before the sun or as the sun is rising the new day. Uh, isn't it beautiful to hear the the birds singing and the bugs even singing <laughs> uh, their lullaby into the new day that's dawning. Or at nighttime, as the sun's about to go down, the lullaby of the songs of the birds and the bugs. It's closing out the night. You know, the sounds of creation is just beautiful. The songs that are part of the universal language. Psalm 66 verse 4 declares that all the earth worships and sings praises to the name of our God. I love that, don't you? Did you know that a toadfish sings? That mice sing? That whales sing? That Central American bats sing? That the Pacific chorus, of course, if it's called this, the Pacific chorus frog sings? The antelope squirrel sings? And that's just to name a few of the many creatures that God has created that sings. Uh, music is that universal language given to us as a gift by God. And of course, it's rarely a person that you meet that doesn't like music. Everybody believes that songs and music are a very essential, important part and vital part of our life, right? Uh, some form of music can be found in every culture from the very beginning of time. And if you look closely enough, you'll see in all cultures how God has given men and women the desire to be part of singing and music. Uh, when I look at Genesis chapter 4, this is the earliest part of history. It's the forming of civilization, and you find there a list in verses 20 through 22 that I find interesting because there it lists a few things in the forming or development of the earliest civilization. Uh, Jabal is mentioned as the first person that lived in a tent and domesticated animals. Domestication of animals and crops are an essential part of the formation of civilization. You have Tubal that's mentioned there. He was the first one that used iron and bronze to create many different kinds of tools. So we know his name, Jabal. And then right in the middle of that, I think it's very interesting, you have right here is told about a guy named Jubal. And what does Jubal do? In the earliest part of civilization, Jubal is the one that is inventing Musical instruments, right? Stringed instruments and piped instruments like a harp and a flute. And so at the very beginning, very first cultures, very first towns, villages, people, there is music among the domestication of animals and crops and use of metal. Uh, music speaks to our heart, doesn't it? We relate to music by our emotions, by our feelings, by our thoughts, our desires, our dreams, and if that song or that music hits us, man, it strikes a chord in our very spirit, doesn't it, of how God wants to work in us. Just think about songs, how powerful they are to teach. How, how many of you have learned church doctrine from VBS songs? You know, children's songs, um, Sunday school songs, when our children's ministry is meeting, the songs they learn back there, those songs will be sung until they're adults, right? Decades and decades. We'll remember those beautiful songs. All the earth worships and sings praises to the name of God. 
So it should be no surprise to you that God sings. That God sings from the heart. Zephaniah 3 verse 17. It tells us about this. Zephaniah was a prophet of Judah some 600 years before, um, before the time of Jesus. He's prophesying to the people and he's pleading with them on behalf of God. You need to repent of your sins. You're in rebellion. You are putting all your hopes and security and trust in these alliances with foreign nations that are opposed to God. You need to repent. If you don't, the day of the Lord's going to come. And you have throughout Zephaniah 1 through 3, you have these prophecies from Zephaniah to the people of Judah and Jerusalem. And in the midst of that, it says, when the day of the Lord comes, if you've not repented, it's going to be a time of distress, terrifying anguish, bitterness, tears, and trials. And so the Lord tells Jerusalem, you got to listen. you got to learn. you got to correct your ways. You, if you will seek me in righteousness, if you will come back to me, if you'll turn to me and seek me in humility, then I, I will draw near to you if you'll trust in me. And that's the plea that, that God has towards the people. But right here in the middle of the third chapter of Zephaniah, the whole scene changes from that present day time to a time in the future when Christ returns. And there it shows a picture of G of God and see what he's doing. Zephaniah 3:17, here's what it says. He will rejoice over you with singing. See that verse there? In that song, he will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah 3 verse 17. It's a song of celebration. It's a song of hope. God singing with us. So I want to talk to you first of all about God as a singer. All right? God is a singer. Now, when you hear a song, let me ask you, what is your favorite song of all time? If you could pick like your favorite song of all time, you would probably know then who was singing the song. You'd also probably understand why they were singing that song. You'd probably learn the background of that song if you're like me. Oh, I love that song. What's that song all about? Who, who was singing that, Right? So you look up the singer and why were they singing that song? And the, the more you learn about the singer and the more you learn about the reason why the song was written, it gives a deeper, richer meaning to that, right? Now you bring that deeper, richer meaning to the song when you hear it again or you sing it again, and it means even more to you. God, God is the singer. In Psalm chapter 40, verse 3, it says, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. So here's David. He says, I was inspired. And God gave me this song. He put this new song in my mouth and I'm praising him with it. And then he says, many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. So David has this song he's inspired by that the Lord has given him. And the more he realizes this song didn't come from me, this song is from God it has a deeper, richer meaning to him, doesn't it? And it has such a deeper, richer meaning as he thinks about that. Then it says, many see it and they begin to worship the Lord. Have you ever had a song in your life that's life-changing? Or it's one of your go-to songs when you need to have that song? Why is it that way for you? Because something about that song has touched your very heart and it changes you. And people sometimes can see that change in you. Sometimes you'll even refer to it. Man, when I heard that song, it was life changing, right? I'll sometimes hear that about people in church. Man, when I heard that song about God, it changed my life. Are you with me? 
And so you have this idea of it being life-changing. So many then see and hear that song that's in you because you put your trust in him. So here's the singer. I want to know, God sings. What do we know about God as a singer? So in Zephaniah 3, we have his promise that's here, don't we? The promise of God. And here's what God tells us about himself as a singer. Here's the verse. The Lord your God is with you. The Lord your God is with you. Judah, in the distressing, terrible times that's hitting Jerusalem, I want you to know during this time that I am your God. The Lord your God is with you. Turn to me. Trust in me. I think about David. Now, what do we know about David? Uh, David was one who fought the lion, right? And David fought the bear. And David was the giant slayer. And David was the one who was the king of Israel. But what we really know about David through all that is that David was a singer, wasn't he? David wrote psalms to the Lord, psalms that were given to him by the Lord. And he loves music, such a very important part of his life. And so when David, in his song book, Psalm number 23, writes about the Lord, he says what? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He could have said the Lord is the shepherd, or the Lord is a shepherd, or the Lord is the great shepherd. Could have said all those, right? But he says the Lord is my shepherd. He is my God. He is my personal Savior. He is my personal Savior, my personal shepherd. I think about Job. I mean, Job, you talk about trials and tribulations and troubles and sufferings. His life was miserable, wasn't it? Absolutely horrifying what he went through. And so he has these three friends, Bildad and Sophar and Eliphaz, who, who are trying to cheer him up with all this I mean, it's not much of a cheering up, right? The three rounds they go at them, they give all these explanations that just terribly fail. None of them are good. But they're trying to cheer Job up with it, trying to help him along. And so they'll go through one round, and Eliphaz will say his thing, and Job will respond, and so far, and Bildad will say the same thing. And they get to round two, and Bildad says, look, I got this figured out, Job. The reason why you're going through all this is because you're a sinner, you're doing evil in the eyes of God. You're not admitting to it. You don't even know who God is. I mean, if you really knew who God was, you would know that you have sin and therefore you need to, to repent. And Job says, wait a minute. Now, this is David's paraphrase, right? Just wait, wait, stop right there. I'm going to tell you something. My family is gone. My friends have forsaken me. Children, when they see me on the street, make fun of me. My wife thinks I have bad breath. Now, I don't know why he threw that one in there, but that's in <laughs> bad breath. You know, uh, my friends ignore me. People have forsaken me. But Bildad, I want you to write this down. I want you to write it on a tablet, on a scroll. And I want you to get an iron pen, and I want you to grave it in a rock. And here's what I want you to write down. I know that my Redeemer lives... And in the end, he'll stand on this earth. My redeemer, Job says. My shepherd, David says. He is your God. God, the singer, is singing about you. And what he's telling you is, I am your God. I am your shepherd. I want to be 
your Redeemer, and he sings about it. And he wants us to be the same way. And you go back to Zephaniah 3. It says, not only the promise that he has, but notice what it's here. He says, I am the Lord your God who is with you. I'm the Lord your God who is with you. I think about Moses in all those decades, he had to lead those people, right? And at the end of his life in Deuteronomy 29, 30, and 31, you can go count them on your own, but somewhere between Deuteronomy 29 and 30, 16 times he talks about God. And in those 16 times, he says, the Lord, your God. The Lord, our God. And then he tells Joshua, Joshua, you be strong and courageous. The Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my redeemer. The Lord is my God. And this is the promise that he gives. Now, that statement that Moses makes to Joshua about the Lord being with him and will never forsake him, the Hebrew writer picks that up and go to Hebrews 13, verse 5. And I'm going to read out of the Amplified. Because in the normal translations, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's strong enough, right? I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's strong enough. Here it is in the Amplified. That is, if you could take every word in the original and give it its full, deeper, richer, texture, meaning. Here's what it's really saying about God being with you. Are you ready? God said, I will never under any circumstance desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support, nor will I in any degree leave you helpless, nor will I forsake or let you down or relax my hold on you, assuredly not. See what he's saying? I will never, 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 no, never, no, never forsake you. I'm always with you. That's the promise that God has given. The Lord, your God, your shepherd, your redeemer, the one who is with you, the one who sings about you. He says, I am your God. That pronoun, that personal pronoun, doesn't it make all the difference? Is he your God? Is he your shepherd? Is he your redeemer? God, the singer, We learn of the promise. Who's singing this song? God the singer. What is he telling us about? We know his promise. We also know his might. And here's what he tells us about us in the song. He says, I am mighty to save. Zephaniah 3.17. I am mighty to save. There is nothing that can stop. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is the promise that God has given. I have the might to save you. There is nothing too difficult for God. He is the one who has made this promise. He is mighty to save. Now, how many promises do you think there are in the Bible? Have you ever read that? How many promises do you think are in the Bible that God gives? Someone added these up. It's like 30,000 promises in the Bible. 30,000 promises. God is mighty enough to fulfill every one of those promises, and he does. Now, Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians that the reason why we know that God can fulfill all those promises is because of Jesus. All the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. The reason we say amen to and through Jesus, that's the reason why we say amen to Jesus when we give glory to God. If you look to the cross... And you see God's mighty power to save us through the cross of Christ. The mighty power that that raised him from the dead. 
to ascend in the Hyde's return. Paul says, when you see that mighty power that God used there to fulfill that promise, every other promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul said, by the same power that God used to raise Jesus from the dead, he too will raise you to walk in newness of life. It's great power. And I love this because what it is, he is mighty to save, isn't he? The greatest promise that God will ever give you the greatest promise he'll ever give you is to save you forever. Amen? The greatest promise that's there. It's so beautiful. The mighty God who takes away the judgment of the world. That's why Romans 8 verse 1 is so beautiful. Those who are in Christ Jesus are what? You're not judged guilty. Isn't it great to know that this God who's the singer has given you this promise and has the mighty power to fulfill it and to make it last. So you have the singer, but let's look at the song that God sings. What, what is the lyrics? Really, doesn't a song, it's the lyrics oftentimes in that song. You may not remember all the lyrics, but of your favorite song, you may remember many of them. The lyrics, the message, the lines in the song that means so much to you. God is singing here, and here's the song of God, and, and what is this song all about? And he's about to tell us, here's why I wrote this song. Here's why I'm singing this song. And here's what this song is all about. It's about, first of all, my delight in you. I delight in who you are. Notice, he says, what he says here. He takes great delight in you. See it? The lyrics in that song tells you that God takes great delight in someone. Who is it? Put your name there. He takes great delight in you. God loves to sing about who you are and how he delights in you. Now, let me ask you, do you think they're singing in heaven? Obviously. Absolutely. Heaven sings. You're going to be singing up there. But don't forget, God is singing. Is that going to be awesome when you think about it? When you're in heaven and you, where's that voice? Now, Larry Sally has a voice everyone can hear all throughout South Carolina. Larry, if you're listening today, I love you, but man, your voice is like, it just stands out. It's great, right? The deep bass. I wonder what God's voice is going to be like in singing, right? But can you imagine God lifting up his voice and singing his delight over you? You're there in heaven and he's singing about you. Isn't that wonderful? The delight that he has in you. He really delights in this, that you've been saved from your sins. That judgment's not coming upon you. I think about the ministry of Jesus. Now, think about the ministry of Jesus and how often those Pharisees challenged him. I mean, everywhere he went, he was doing good, right? Serving the Lord, being the Savior that he wanted to be. And yet, wherever he turned, here were these Pharisees constantly challenging him. On one occasion, and more than one really, they challenged him with this statement, why are you associating with sinners? The implication is if you really were a holy person or a righteous person, you would have nothing to do with those unholy, unrighteous people, right? Why do you associate with sinners? And here's the lyric of Jesus' song. I came to seek and to save the lost. That's Jesus' song for you. I came to seek and save the lost. 
My joy, my delight is in seeing salvation come into the life of anyone that will accept me as Lord and Savior. God's song in this lyric, lyric is, I have great delight in you. I bring salvation into your name. And Jesus says, God is like that shepherd, your shepherd, who when one of his sheep are lost and he finds the one, he rejoices that he found the one to bring it home. He's like that impoverished woman who only had just a couple of coins and loses the coin and sweeps the house and searches the house. And when she finds the coin, she is rejoicing with great delight because she has found that coin. And he certainly, Jesus says, like the father who looks down the road from his house and sees the rebellious son coming back home. That's the delight that God takes in you. That's the delight that God sings about. And God sings about this. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 15, I tell you, there's much joy in heaven when one sinner repents. And then later, there is joy in heaven over one sinner who turns away from sin. That's what God delights in you. That's what God wants to see in us. Amen? And so God sings of his delight in us. And in the lyrics, God sings of his love for us. He sings of his rest in his love. Notice the line here, the lyric. He will rest in his love. He will rest in his love for us. He sings of this rest that he has. The work has been completed. The work is done for our salvation. He's mighty to save. Doesn't mean he's tired. Doesn't mean he's worn out. Just exhausted. Not what the word rest here means at all. It means to relax after the work is done. One of my favorite old TV shows that's black and white, and I don't even like the color version of them. It's the old black and white Andy Griffith. Andy Griffith, they go through the day so many times, and the scene always ends with Andy and Barney and Aunt B and uh, some neighbor sitting on the porch and Cool breeze is going, sun setting, Andy picks up his little guitar, they relax, and they sing a song on the porch. The day is done, the work is through, it's time to relax, it's time to enjoy, it's time to celebrate the day. God sings about that, about you. Let's enjoy the day together. Let's enjoy our work together. Let's enjoy our time together. When God created the heavens and the earth, it says, the picture, he took six days of work. It was a work of his mighty hand. It was the work of great love. On the seventh day, God rested. And he tells his people on day seven, make sure you have the Sabbath. We're not celebrating the work. We're celebrating the completion. The rest of my love. That you can enter into that rest. And God sings about it. He tells us that that work was completed in Jesus Christ. The work that he has for us in Christ alone. In John chapter 19 verse 30. Jesus is on the cross. And he says these words. It is finished. Then he bowed his head and died. The Roman soldiers who saw Jesus die that day looked up and said, well, this day's done. He's finished. He's done. 
The crowd that had gathered around to see the display, the horrible display of Jesus on the cross dying. When they see Jesus make those statements and he bows his head to die, the crowd says, well, he's done. He's finished. Let's go home. Oh, the devil and his angels. The devil and those demons. Yes, we got him. Yes, we killed him. He's finished. He's done. It's over. But Jesus didn't say, I'm finished, did he? Jesus didn't say, I'm finished. Jesus said, it is finished. I'm not done. I'm not finished. (laughs) But it is finished. The work that I've been called to do has been finished. It is complete. It's done. It's thorough. Devil and demons, you can rejoice all you want, but you don't get it. This is the end for you. It is finished. What's the job he finished? Hebrews 1.3. Jesus provided purification for our sins. Where did he do that? On the cross. When everyone says he's finished, he's done. Jesus, no, I'm not finished. It's finished. <laughs> I'm starting. <laughs> I'm the mighty God who saves. It is finished. I provided purification for sins. And I'll tell you where I am right now. I am sitting at the right hand of God. I'm not standing. I'm not running. I'm not walking. I'm not working. I am sitting in rest, making intercession for every single one of you. I'm at rest because what I have done, it is finished. Completed at the right hand of God. And that's why in Hebrews, there's this invitation. I'll point you to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 3. But it comes over and over again in Hebrews. Enter into his rest. God, in his great love for you, has promised you his rest. Through Jesus Christ, God, who is mighty to save, has saved you through the work of Jesus Christ. It's a work of love on the cross. But it's the rest of his love that you want to be in. To rest with him, to enter into his rest. And Jesus, on his earthly ministry, said... I offer you rest for your weariness, for your sinfulness, and for your brokenness, and for your everything in your life. I will be that rest if you'll come unto me. And the Hebrew writer says, he who believes, they will receive the rest which God has promised. God sings about it, doesn't he? He sings with delight over you, sings for you out of his love to enter into his rest for eternity. That's what God, your shepherd, your redeemer, your savior wants for you. The promise that he fulfills through his mighty power. He sings these great lyrics. Now there's another part about the song that's important, right? It's the melody. You know, you can have great lyrics. You can know the background of a singer. There's a favorite singer that I have towards the end of his career. He was still writing great lyrics, but man, his melodies were lousy, right? And it's always disappointing when you follow a guy's career, right? And towards the end, they kind of drop off big time, right? But you think about the songs that you like, your favorite songs, the lyrics. It has to have the melody, right? And there are all kinds of melodies that are there. Now, notice the melody that God has here. He says, I am rejoicing with you in singing. I'm rejoicing over you through singing. The melody has upbeat, praise, delight, celebration, victory. Because he's singing about from his heart the victory that you have in Jesus Christ. The melody that is there. He will rejoice over us in singing. It's so beautiful. Now, I think about that. And I think about 
this application. We'll close here. God sings from his heart about you. You sing from your heart about God. That's the application. God sings about you. You sing about God. And notice the melody. The melody is in the heart of God. And our songs about God are where? In our heart. God sings the melody of his heart about you. You sing the melody of your heart about God. Ephesians 5, sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God for everything in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm thankful that that's a melody from the heart that's acceptable and not just the vocal cords. How about you? Right? I'm glad it doesn't have to be perfect pitch or four-part harmony. I can croak like a bullfrog, crow like a rooster, howl like a coyote, right? That's why my favorite verse out of context in the Bible is, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, right? We delight God in his heart, sings a melody about you. You sing from your heart a melody about God. And it pours out, and it's so beautiful. And listen, folks, every one of us here today have so much, so much to sing about to our great God, shepherd, and redeemer. Amen? Amen. Well, I hope this lesson has encouraged you today in your daily walk with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and I pray it will give you strength throughout the rest of this week till we get to meet again next week. If you're watching online and you'd like to respond, there's an email address. Please write to us. And we'll answer as quickly as we can to get back with you. And there's also a phone number there. You can feel free to call that and we will respond there as well. If you're here this morning and you would like to respond, please meet with one of our elders that is here this morning, Dale and uh, I think, and Ken, the two that are here today, and please get with them as well. And we're now going to continue our worship in song, in communion, and prayer.